Hi everyone, welcome to AMPS. This is our very first attempt at a podcast. I'm Sharon and I'm joined today by Matt Koala-Williams and Tim Gow. A couple of us got together a while ago and thought we'd put together a podcast for the AMPS Facebook group and just for something new to try out and engage members in ways other than Facebook. We hope that by doing this we can get to know our members better and our members can get to know us better. So as this is our very first attempt, I apologise in advance for the very poor quality and sound. Um, that's all on me. I've never done this before. So as I navigate my way around, I'm sure I'll get better at it. This episode is completely unscripted, so be prepared for anything. But we do touch on statue vandalism, COVID-19, um, the easing of lockdown restrictions and a few other things. This recording was made prior to Victoria's latest lockdown, so it's a tad out of date. However, I do hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello, Sharon. Hi, Matt. How are you today? I'm not too bad. How are you doing? I haven't spoken to you in ages. Yay! I'm speaking to you again. It's so good to hear from you. It is as well. It's very good to hear from you. Yes. Is there video for this as well, or is it just audio? I believe it's only um, an audio format. Um, it's a podcast. So, and I got um, myself all dolled up for you and everything. Got the eyeliner, <laughs> the lipstick, went every, everything. Okay, that's it. We're changing format to video. Oh, shit, I have to actually follow through with that. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> mm. mm. As I said, I'm... Hi, Tim. Mm, very good to um, <clears throat> hear you again. It's very good. Very good. Yes. Hi. I connected and the first thing I heard was uh, Matt admonishing you for pornography habits. So... <laughs> no, I was being very understanding. Thank you, Tim. Kink shaming is modest. Kink shaming might be immodest, but that was a very admonishing tone. I'm afraid. I was admonishing her shame because she should feel no shame. <laughs> Can we uh, re-record that? <laughs> because, um, <clears throat> um, oh, no, I, have we heard any confirmation at all from either Dylan or Chloe that they're joining no, us tonight? No, and I'm willing to bet that's enough to extrapolate an answer. We can probably just assume no. Okay, mm. so... Um, Maybe we should. Um, we could just uh, <laughs> pretend I, that little incident yep. never happened. Wipe it yep. from your, um, our collective minds. And I'm um, gonna. I don't even know what happened. Um, I just it came into the call. You said sorry, and then it ended. I'm gonna go pour I, myself a pot of tea. I'll be just a moment. <laughs> answering. Oh, Timothy. Oh, sorry. Is something wrong with my Australian accent? It's answering, Timothy, answering, answering. That's all right. He's he's he lives in Victoria. We probably shouldn't even be speaking with him, to be honest. I live in Victoria. No, he's he's new, new he's a New South Welshman actually. I'm a New yeah. South Welshman by birth and, and rearing and um that makes me the finest breed of Australian possible and you free settlers will never understand. So I don't want to hear any criticism. Sorry, I can't hear you over zero cases of COVID-19. 
Yeah, but that's not my fault. I'm from New South Wales. I'm from rural New South Wales, and my hometown is currently COVID-free. So, you know, people of my ilk aren't plagued. And despite living in the most plagued city in Australia, I also am not plagued, which means... I and am. that well, have you, very good ha, to hear. Have you been tested? Have you been tested, Tim? No, but look, if I was if if I was COVID positive, then I was completely asymptomatic, which just means that it's like the best case scenario because I am so good at defeating viruses. My immune system is well, is so masculine that it like the virgin COVID nineteen versus the Chad Timothy's immune system. Yeah, my my immune system flexed it down. Uh, well, <laughs> Timothy, um, you do realise that being asymptomatic uh, doesn't necessarily mean that uh, you're not infecting other people. It's not all about you, Tim. It's not all about you. Aren't the symptoms of a virus actually indicative that your immune system is actually responding to it? Uh, it's one. Sure. It's one way that it might be indicative. You, your immune system might uh, might combat it in ways where your temperature doesn't go up and you don't sneeze and you don't get uh, coughs or uh, blocked nose. So, Sharon, what are we talking about first? Well, one of the uh, most dominating topics in uh, in AMPS at the moment is that of statues and the fact that statues around Australia and overseas, but in particular Australia, in Australia, are being defaced and knocked down. Um, and... Um, I just wanted to have a little discussion about that and ask you guys, what are your thoughts on this? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think the King Edward VII Memorial in Adelaide should be taken down. <laughs> is that an Adelaide thing or is that um, is that because of... Uh, honestly, I don't know much about uh, King Edward, so, I mean, could you enlighten... No, I just Googled Adelaide statues and just demanded the top result be taken down. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, let, let me do a quick Google. Destroy patriarchy. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the principle. <laughs> I've, I've never understood the Moles balls, why we have two giant... Well, I mean, if, in if, Adelaide, if, how that's if you look at a map of Australia and you assume that this, Australia is a person, Adelaide is a roundabout where between the legs should be. So it, it just makes perfect sense to me. Oh, wow. Really? Wow. But uh, so in terms, of, in terms of taking down the statues, um, I, I, I'm not terribly aware of all the detailed reasoning that they put into it, but I've got the gist of it. And the gist of it seems to be um, they think that there's just a expression of historical racism that is basically supported mm -hmm. by these statues of people who have been racist because you know, back in the day, everyone was doing it. It was the cool thing to do. Um, that's a joke, but I've just realized it's kind of appropriate actually. But um, so they're seeing it as taking the statue down as a form of protest, considering that, 
recently there have been a number of very high profile people who have uh, had um, lethal interactions with police. And a lot of those, the police probably were in the wrong. Like, you know, kneeling on a guy's mm. neck so much that he vomits and dies is probably a, a bit excessive. And if you were a civilian, you'd a certainly go to jail. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, I, I'm not sure that the action itself, I wouldn't personally think it's it's the correct way to protest against it. I wouldn't really say it's, it's ne- really accomplishing what I think they're setting out to achieve. But then again, I'm not the one who's angry. Um, and any form of protest is, it, it doesn't spring out of nowhere. It's come from these people ha- are angry and they've probably been angry for a very long time after mm. having been treated this way for a very long time. So me sitting in my comfortable apartment wearing a pink dressing gown, sipping my Chinese tea. Um, Chinese? Yeah. Was the, was the Earl Grey? Uh, was there no, great. This is actually white tea, not even black tea or green tea. <gasps> I have ascended beyond the normie teas. Does Chay know about? He this? does know about this. He's 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 not he's not angry. He's just disappointed. What about Danny? Is she controlling your clothing choices? No, I I, I freely chose the pink dressing gown. I love pink. My teapot's pink as well. You know what? That is incredibly masculine, and I totally respect it. Thank you very much. So do pink I. Is, pink is so a do very I. masculine color. As, but yeah, as, so. as long as Danny isn't forcing it upon you like you're a Ken doll, then then <laughs> you're you're absolutely masculine. I have a pink button-up shirt, and I, I it's too cold to wear it right now. But in the summer, I wear it regularly, and. I believe uh, pink is is very masculine color. So long as you're wearing it completely voluntarily, yeah, yeah, not to be tokenistic. Mm. I mean, I think you can wear any. Like, I don't really care about any particular colors being more the masculine than the others. I'm not really. I didn't pick pink because it's masculine. I just always thought it's a nice color. Um, it is masculine. All right. But, um, re- regardless of that, my point being about the statues. I, I can't agree with it on a personal philosophic level, but in terms of a form of protest, it, pe- angry people are going to do what feels right to them in the moment. And unless you are also that angry, then criticising them for what they've done without really being able to empathise with why they've done it or what headspace they were in is a bit, it's a bit self-indulgent and a bit um, uh, lacking in self-awareness of your own detachment from their problems. Mm. And and would you agree that when an issue was so polarised and so divisive, uh, when something like Black Lives Matter uh, and you've got black versus white, literally black versus white, and one side cannot see the grey, um, it's very, very hard to empathise with the other side. Because you just have no idea what the what the other side has gone through, um, so it's very easy to kind of sit in your lounge room or um, at your keyboard shouting at the memes that you're seeing on Facebook, going, "Oh, that person's a bloody idiot," without actually seeing um, other perspectives. Mm. That's effectively my point. So. I, I try, I avoid having strong opinions on things where I can, which is a meme, but that's just mostly because 
I don't think me having a very strong opinion on absolutely everything that happens in the world is really necessary for anyone around me, let alone myself. But um, to what extent I have an opinion that was it for that it's like, I wouldn't agree with it philosophically. Um, however, those people are doing what they're doing for what I'd assume are good reasons. They're probably not irrational, stupid people that are doing this. What do you think, Timothy? Uh, okay. Well, I have a moderately pro takedown position. Um, I think hmm. I think we should analyze what any given statue is memorializing, and if it's glorifying uh, something that is completely inconsistent with modern values, then I see no reason why it shouldn't be taken down. So uh, when you're like the, the typical debate in America at the moment is between the Confederate uh, generals like General E. Lee and um, various other, other commanders of the pro-slavery forces. And yes, they represent something in southern USA, but... Uh, to a minority who lives there, they represent the idea that they should be kicked out of the country or uh, treated as property or just killed. And I can't see why they should have to live in a city where that statue proudly beams over um, all of the conduct of business in the area every day of their lives. I, I don't see a reason. And there was a there was an example recently of one of the Confederate statues that got taken down is going to be replaced with a statue of a singer. And I thought, well, that's actually a really good idea. Like take away these offensive like representations of, of an era that is now two centuries out of date and replace it with something modern that represents the arts. It's apolitical. Everybody can get around it. I, it was Johnny Cash, actually, now that I think about it. Not just any singer, but like one of the legends of music. So That most people would agree. Yeah. So, like, mm. you, you look at a, a Confederate general versus Johnny Cash, I know who I'd prefer to be a statue in the middle of town. Like, it's Johnny Cash. So, I, I actually don't, I don't mind it. I think that there is an absolutely valid critique there. You, like, statues represent culture. So, if you're looking at culture in society and you're saying, well, what is our culture? What do we represent? What are our values? Uh, it is hard to say our values are liberal sort of inclusiveness and um, uh, multiculturalism or, or even just cultural diversity and acceptance of the individual, no matter who they are. And also glorification of these soldiers who fought and died their whole lives. They dedicated their whole career 
to stratifying society so white men were at the top. And I'm totally okay with taking those statues down. If you look at, like, I don't think that every statue ever should be taken down. It's just the ones that represent that sort of thing. And the, the best example, like when people have challenged me on this, I've pointed out, like, do you remember when Saddam Hussein was first taken down and there was this footage all over the world of all these Iraqis tearing down the big statue of Hussein in the middle of the capital? And it was like this glorious, cheerful moment for Iraqi citizens. It was the end of oppression. And, and I was like, would you stand over the shoulder of one of these people and say, you can't take that down, that's part of history? Of course you wouldn't. This is, this is a moment of, of, of joy. This is a moment of, like, rebellious success. And, like, clearly... Once you build a statue, it doesn't have this divine right to exist forever. You have to define when it's, what a statue is. The purpose of the statue is glorifying something that is completely out of sync with modern value. Mm. Take it down. One thing Tim. I would query about that is, say, mm. for example, um, uh, just to use a random time as an example, say, for example, there was a a statue somewhere in, let's say, Townsville. Um, and the reason the statue had been erected, it was erected when the town was built. And the reason it was erected was because the person um, the statue is of, let's call him unknown James, um, he was effectively one of the, the financial real backbones of the town. He's the one who, who funded a lot of the projects. He was very nice to everyone in the town and they responded positively and just went, you know what, let's, let's build this guy's statue to just commemorate his contributions to this town. And then everyone in that town from that point onwards sort of learns about the statue and goes, yeah, it's, it's nice having this statue of this guy who really, without him, this town wouldn't be here. And let's say someone in, like, another town over um, discovers that this fellow, while he was an absolutely upstanding bloke for the town, a bit of a racist, um, did some very nasty things to the local Aboriginal, supported... Um, white supremacist policies, and they go, oh, well, no, that statue should be taken down. But the people living in Townsville themselves all go, well, no. So we we don't interpret him being here as a glorification of that. And you know what? He probably was a bit of a, an asshole to them. But the statue's here specifically to thank him for his contributions to us and not for anything else he did in his life. Do you think there's there's reason that that statue should be taken down if the town itself wants it to stay up, but other people elsewhere want it to be taken down. Okay, I have an answer for that, but it will take a while. So, first of all, Sharon, do you do you have an answer to that? Yeah, I, I do actually, um, and it's it, it's okay. So, first of all, I read a, I read an excellent op, and it's written by a fellow named Mori Bales, and I'll post the link up if anybody's interested after this podcast. But what he writes about um, it um, is a quote is um, 
this. How does one reconcile the euphoria felt at the toppling of the Berlin Wall and tearing down the statues of Lenin and Stalin at the fall of the evil and totalitarian communist Soviet Union and the disgust at the defacing of the Randwick statue of Captain Cook and in Ballarat the statues of former Prime Ministers John Howard and Tony Abbott? There is, of course, a difference in a popular uprising overthrowing one of the most undemocratic and oppressive regimes of the 20th century and the current spate of property damage occurring in some cities of Australia. We are a democracy, and whilst to change things can take time, if a majority agree a statue or effigy causes offence, it can be removed. To overthrow the former Soviet Union, there was only really ever one way to do it. And it was never going to be at the ballot box. And importantly, and it was, it was the will of the majority. We are very fortunate to live in a democracy. Winston Churchill's oft-used description aptly sums it up. He said, no one pretends that democracy is perfect or all wise. Indeed, it has been said that democracy is the worst form of government, except for all those other forms that have been tried from time to time. As a lawyer, the point to democracy, the reason it works, the reason we accept the good with the bad and the way in which we fight to protect it is the rule of law. And I think, uh, end quote, and I think that is just so poignant um, when it comes to this issue of pulling down statues in Australia because, Timothy, when you mentioned the pulling down of statues in, in America and... Uh, the pulling down particularly of slave owners and Robert E. Lee. These were um, very bad people. They did terrible things. Um, they were oppressive. And it is, I might say, the will of the people um, that these statues have been removed. But in Australia, we do live in a democracy. And a lot of people would agree that Tony Abbott John Howard, even Captain Cook, um, don't deserve to be pulled down. Um, or perhaps there are better ways to handle uh, the statues by either prefacing it with um, another, uh, another statue or an explanation uh, as to who Captain Cook was and why he did what he did, perhaps, you know, some of the bad things that included um, that were in, that, that he did along his way to Australia. But um, pulling down the statue when it's not really a democratic process, nobody's gone to the ballot box and said, yes, we want Captain Cook removed. Um, is, that, is that really something that we want to see, mob, mob justice here in Australia? Is that a question for me? Well, for both of you, really. Well, Koala first. It's been longer since you spoke. So do we really... So is it, just to summarise, it was do we really want to be seeing mob justice and tearing down statues in Australia, considering we're a democracy? Mm, that's right, yeah. Um, well, you can't really take the... You can't um, have the good of democracy without the bad of democracy as well, and... Oh, that's what Winston Churchill said. Well, yeah. the point that I'd make is the bad of democracy is effectively what you disagree with. 
because you have to understand that you have to share the power with everyone else and you're not going to agree with everyone else. And That's right. everyone else is going to do things that you don't like. So you can't, this is sort of why I disagree with it, but I'm all for them actually doing it because you can't claim to be pro-democracy and then criticise other people for protesting in ways that you disagree with or doing things that you disagree with, mm-hmm. um, unless it's actively harming people, in which case you could argue some of the protests are. Um, plenty of videos of people getting bashed, both black and white, in America at the moment. But um, even that is still part of um, a democratic dialogue, even though it's, it's it's not really a democratic dialogue, but it's the kind of dialogue you have to, you can't, um, hmm, not quite sure what I'm trying to express there. The point being that um, it's a certain degree you just have to accept that this is the sort of stuff that is going to happen if, and the only alternative is to actively crack down on it, in which case then you have to start cracking down on views. And then once you do that, it kind of stops being democracy. It does, yeah. I completely agree. Well, I'd just point out the fact that statues aren't people. And I know that I sound I know that sounds really reductive, but if a bunch of riots and let's leave the legality of and, and morality of riots aside for a second, if a bunch of riots rioters take down a statue and destroy it, um, the democratically elected government of the day, whether it's local, state or federal, can decide to rebuild the statue. So if you if you say, oh look, does a bunch of rioters in a in a fit in a peak of emotion um, take down a statue? Is that fair? Is that democratic? I say, well, maybe not. But the dem- democracy hasn't been destroyed by this. This is a decision hmm. that the government can take. If they say, okay, um, a popular riot has just taken down a statue of We'll, we'll set um, Confederacy aside. Let's go to Australia. Just a, a colonial British person like uh, like Cook. Mm. Like it's a statue of Cook and they say, well, okay, some writers j- mm. have just taken down a statue of Cook. Um, do we want to rebuild it? And it takes resources. It takes an intentional decision. So if you think that it has that much intrinsic value and there's democratic support for it and you make the decision to rebuild that statue, you can, you can absolutely do that. And I, I guarantee you there won't be a second riot just to take down that statue. There'll be grumblings from the people that did it, but it won't be like some assassination job. Like if 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 a, in a fit of emotion uh, a big protest takes down a statue, there is no reason to believe that it can't be rebuilt. And I, like I I don't mean to say that rioters should just do whatever they want and governments just rebuild afterwards, just deal with the damage. I mean to say that statues are like the least important kind of damage that can be done by these riots, because. It's just, uh, it's just a memorial. It's, it's just a dead guy. It's just a piece 
of history, but not even really of history. It represents history and it can be replaced. It can be replaced by Johnny Cash or in our case, Slim Dusty. It can be replaced by, <laughs> by somebody like that isn't political, that represents something else. It can be replaced by something political that represents modern history. Like there are living people that aren't that political. Like um, even 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 indigenous people, like Noel Pitt. I was going to say that. I was going to say that you could put indigenous statues up as well because they are sadly not lacking. Yeah. But are you? Are you? Would you? also say that Captain Cook is not an important figure in history should he not have a statue no he's 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 definitely important to Australian history but I don't see why he is um, like has some right that is beyond our Reproach. yeah exactly or beyond our modern mm-hmm. community beyond like of such a level of reverence that we're not allowed to say we've moved on from this bloke. I, mm, and we haven't. I, I, well, if we're going to move on from him, part of the process will be saying it's no longer acceptable to glorify him. Now, I, I, I'm not trying to suggest that we do it. I'm just saying that if we did taking down those statues would make absolute rational sense. And so if a statue of Captain Cook is taken down by like just a popular protest of like a thousand or 2000 people in a city, any city, and then the local council gets together and says, what do we do about the damage? Do we rebuild the statue? Do we build a new statue? Do we just leave it? Like take it down all together and, and just make it an empty space. I'd say that is a fair question. You don't have to rebuild it. You don't have to have that statue because clearly there's a, a popular opposition to it and there's no reason to consider that that statue has like a divine right to exist. And so, okay. yeah, I, I consider myself moderately pro-takedown. I'm not outright predate down. I'm not saying, yeah, burn all the statues. I'm just saying if a statue gets taken down, we can look at what the purpose of the statue was. If the purpose of the statue was to glorify something like colonialism that we've all moved on from, like mm-hmm. only fringe white nationalists give a shit about reinstating white nationalism anymore. They're irrelevant. Sorry to all the white nationalists that might listen to this, but you are irrelevant. Most of Australia doesn't give a shit. And so if this statue is glorifying that and it gets taken down in in a peak of emotion by a, a riot or a protest, we don't need to rebuild it. We don't need to say, well, the police should have violently protected this. We can say, okay, here's an opportunity to build something that everyone will love. Now, if you don't love Slim Dusty, you're not Australian. Build a Slim Dusty statue. What? That's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's just an absolutely ridiculous thing to say, Tim. Sounds like a very <laughs> un-Australian thing to say, Sharon. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, I, she's a Kiwi, so clearly, clearly, she doesn't understand. I I only like maybe his Nine Inch Nails cover, but I mean, <laughs> no, that's that's about it. God damn it! What? Jim. I can't believe that you. I'm I'm going to have to do a poll and answer about this. You know. Are you Australian if you like Slim Dusty? Well, you've got uh, 27 hours left to do it because it's still off-topic weekend. Otherwise, <laughs> Koala will delete it. <laughs> will you? No, no Matt, just he won't. Universal Post approval and delete yours and happen. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear that? Did you hear that? That's all. And, and I'm the one who, rule, who rule is apparently a fascist. This is... And and speaking about that test, you know, you know what test I'm referring to, right? The fascist mm. test. How fascist mm. are you? By the way, twenty three percent. Least fascist person on that thread. Least. I am absolutely claiming the title of most non-fascist person in Hams. Anyone listening? Both of you. You're all fascist compared to me. Yes. Matt, did you take the I test? Did, take, did you I did take, take the, the test? test. Yeah. And 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 I was what about were you? 34, 35, I think. Fantastic. So I, I, no, I, I just I I can't believe it. I don't believe that I'm a forty nine percent fascist. I More just... than double me. <laughs> no, there is no way. I'm so less fascist than you are. I'm like the least fascisty fascist. Fasc. You clearly not. Weren't you, red, weren't you red no. quadrant, Sharon? Yeah. Well, like, I was, I was like a square. Like, obviously. There, were, there were left comms getting higher scores than me. And I just want that on the record. Like, everybody calls me the neocon guy, the warmonger, the, the, the bloodthirsty, children slaying, drone striking, like, monster. Yeah, well, that's true least fascist mm-hmm. in that thread with dozens of answers least fascist the closest to me was like 27 percent, and that was i think uh 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 no actually i can't even remember who it was but it was like four or five percent more than me i am least fascist and i will take that title to the grave nobody the lady- the lady doth protest too much, methinks. I think you're going to pin that on the fridge. Um, what, Tim? Tim's Tim's a lady, or who are you talking about now? You can call me Mr. Antifa from now on. Yeah. Mr. Antifa. <laughs> I, I will definitely do no, that from now on. So I don't think any of us are really disagreeing that heavily on the statues thing. The, the biggest caveat might be that I... I'm not sure I'd agree with it on a philosophical level, but I'm not about to say they shouldn't be doing it because they can protest whichever way they want, and I consider it valid. Right. I mean, how how does it make you feel to finally be able to get back to back get back to normal and and have a routine again? How does it feel, guys? Matt, you go first. I just talk for like half an hour. 
I'm feeling very bullied by this, Tim. I will. I can be. I can be quiet if I want to. How dare you project your voice onto me like this? But I, I will talk. Um, no, I, I, it's it's been okay. Um, I've, my schedule has basically never changed throughout the entire time of this because I work in a not twenty four. Oh, I work in the twenty four hour service, so I don't have twenty four hour shifts myself. Um, so they've needed me to be working this entire time. The only difference has been working from home. Um, which is nice for the late and the early shifts. Um, the, the biggest thing has probably been that I haven't been able to go out and do things in my spare time after work, which is something I do like doing. So I'm definitely looking forward to doing a lot more of that and seeing people and hugging people again. I, I miss hugs. Uh, it, feels, it feels very nice to, like Danny and I went out to town last night and got very drunk and had a great Aww. time. Um, it was nice to see because we went out um, and there were a, lot, a decent number of pubs were closed, but um, we must have found at least a dozen or so that were still open and just full to the brim. Like you had to wait outside to get let in. So it's, it's lovely seeing that everyone is, is really just embracing the venues that are opening early and just really supporting them and getting back into business. Hmm. And how about you, Tim? You must feel good. Are you still studying? Are you back on campus yeah, now? Yeah, I'm studying. Or? No, I'm not back on campus. Um, I <laughs> This is actually a story I could rant about for about an hour. But long story short is that when I... Because in Victoria, they have something called free TAFE and courses that are in particularly high demand the state government covers the TAFE cost rather than the federal government. So it's not HEX and it's nice. not debt. The state government just pays for it. So I'm doing one of those courses. Um, but they told me when I signed up last year that the only campus that was accepting mid-year commencement was a long way away from me. So I'm in the outer north. I'm in oh. the outer north of Melbourne in um, the Bandura sort of area for people who know. And the campus is in the Werribee area, which is the outer southwest. It's about. Oh, why did you move so far away? It's, a, it's about two and a half to three hours by public transport to get to campus. And they said, this is the only a location that you could study at mid-year if you wanted to start mid-year. Otherwise, you had to wait till this January. And I, this is early last year. And I said, no, fuck that. I'd rather commute for three hours and start sooner. So um, I've been – I went to campus all the way up until coronavirus lockdown and then campus moved to mm -hmm. online-based and Zoom conferences, and that saved me five to six hours worth of commute every study day. So I'm laughing. I'm uh, I'm fine with it. It's currently between semesters. I've like I've finished two semesters. There's a third semester still to come, and that semester has like I think two courses instead of four and field work. Oh, hi, baby. So it's a, it's yeah. a, oh, thank you. But that's, it's very kind. Um, the, so yeah, I'm going to finish the degree in September 
or the certificate for in youth work in September. Uh, but it's it's better. Lockdown has been better for me because I don't have to travel for three hours. I don't have to get at a.m. Mm. get up get up at six a.m. to start at nine. Yeah. I don't have to like yeah. deal with all that bullshit. So I'm fine with it. Uh, yeah, I lockdown itself has been okay because I'm a huge introvert, so I can go months without talking to anyone before it has a severe impact on my mental health. Oh, God, no. I'm, I'm the opposite. I'm, I cannot wait to do things again and see people. And God, I miss that. Yeah. When is the next time you're going to see me, dude? I'm going to what, sorry? Call down. When is the next time? When is the next time yeah. you're going to see me? Go on, that is a good. I've messaged you several times asking you if you're free, and you've. Um, I assume you would have been busy. So I, it's not like I've been putting no effort in, Sharon. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, it's not that I've been busy. It's just that I've been like so not busy oh, that I can't like do anything. Yeah. No. Shut <laughs> down. <laughs> no, I'll yeah. I'll see you very soon, Chaz. I hope so. I hope so. I miss you and I miss Danny and I, you know, mm. I miss everyone. I enjoy your company. Likewise. It's good. I'll, it's good. You're, you know, you are good. you're a good person to hang with. So, but, uh, yeah. But uh, no. uh, for mm. me, um, I, I really, um, find Timothy that your, <laughs> your experiences, the zoom have been a positive one because whenever I've had to have conferences by zoom, they've been nightmares. Um, because you know, when you're on zoom, right. And there's the mute function. Sometimes, unfortunately, I've forgotten <laughs> to use that mute function. And do you know when you're looking on your computer, I don't know if you do this or not, but I do this, and I'm looking for a particular file or something isn't working, I sort of go, shh, um, I can't find you. Where the hell were you? Um, bloody hell, shit, 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 shit. Blah, back where are you, you little bastard? And next thing you know, it goes, you are muted. And I think, oh, my God, I've just been in a conference and I've just been swearing. <laughs> Um, so, you know, there's there's lots of things to Zoom that I don't like. Um, and being even being an introvert, I do prefer being in a classroom, mainly because I feel more motivated when I am around other people. So when I'm in a room by myself and I have no one to um, – particularly a lecturer to bounce ideas off or to ask questions directly with um I'm more likely to go oh my god this is this is quite difficult and struggle um and you know or I'm just more likely to get more distracted you know like I'll have the the animal next to me or um you know or I'll look out the window and go oh god you know that that car's circled around three times now I hope he's not going to burgle me you know I mean it's just it's just it is it's really easy to get distracted for me so I I, I really I'm not a fan of zoom mm. Mm. not have not have had to use zoom koala or 
No, no. Um, we use a different one for my workplace, so I haven't not, I haven't had any exposure to Zoom at can all. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, we can hear you. We can hear you. Oh, so, sorry. I just got a telephone call and, um, yeah, came in yeah. through my headphones. Uh, we, we just listened to you talk about Googling things on live feed to the rest of your class, like the Burma you are. Um, oh yeah, yeah, um, like yeah, totally. When when I couldn't can't find a particular file, or I've accidentally deleted something. Um, it's just yeah, infuriating. And I tend to swear at my computer a lot, particularly if it's being slow or if the network's being slow. It's, I'm, I'm it's, um, guilty of crazy. swearing at the customers after I hang up a call. <laughs> Have, Do they ever hear you though? Well, no, like, I, you make sure I, that you hung I always up. make sure that I've hung up and it's it's listed in like because I, I, I it gives me like a ten second grace period in between calls before I can take another one, and I'll just mm. be very rude in those ten seconds. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I. But you you can get some very interesting things that people talk to you about, like say, like. One person, I, I got a call from someone at one point, and I'll try and de-identify them as much as possible. With um, it's not from amps. Is oh it? God, no! Well, I hope not. Um, someone <laughs> just sort of rung the faults line, demanding to know why they've received a bill when they don't own the property attached to it. Oh, you've rung fault. That's all right. I, I can still help you with that. Um, so that's a bit weird. You've got this bill despite you not owning the property. Um, uh, do you own any properties? And they've gone yes. And I'm going, okay, so it's not this property that you own? No, no, definitely not. All right, well, what suburb do you own the properties? Oh, these suburb and this suburb. I'm like, okay, well, this property's in that suburb. Um, what were the addresses? Oh, this and this. I'm like, oh, well, that's the address on this bill. So so you own this property? Oh, well, I guess <laughs> I do. No, we can't hear Sharon. We're just nerding it up. I'm glad I'm not the only one who had mic problems. I don't. It just cut out for me before, and then mm. Matt. I thought Matt was gaslighting me. I really did because I was just <laughs> talking, and then he was like, "I can't hear at all, Tim." And I was like, "What the fuck? I didn't do anything. I'm like, I'm just talking." So, whatever our problem was, it's your problem too. Might uh, well, what fixed it for me? if you're still listening, is that I pulled my headphones out and plugged them back in, and then that seemed to work. So maybe try that. My support from the Melbourne Demons begun when I lived in Coffs Harbour. Um, I was about six years old. I'd never played or even heard of AFL before, but my family was, like, big on making me try everything. So... My dad took me to try Auskick, which is the young kids AFL competitions. And the sign-up form said, you know, name, address, phone number, parent or guardian's name, address, phone number. And then which team do you support? And it had a list of every team. And my dad said, pick one. And I looked down the list and I thought, oh, Demons, that's such a cool name. So I picked, I picked the Demons based on the fact that they had a cool name, not based on the fact that I thought that I would live in Melbourne in 20 years' time. Um, and so that, like, that is why I picked Melbourne. And 
eventually moving to Melbourne was almost completely a coincidence because I did that for completely different reasons, but I'm glad I did. Um, in part because I got to finally attend Demons Games. But yeah, New South Welshman, born and raised, Melbourne fan since I was about five or six. Just just so mm. we're clear here. And I'm a I'm a passionate New South Wales Blues fan in the state of origin, which you South Australians don't understand at all because you don't have mm, cult- no. culture in your state. <laughs> now you sound like um, <clears throat> one of our prominent AMPS members. Um, I think well, it was Rachel. Was it Rachel Cashin? Yeah, she told us that we don't have any culture in Adelaide. So you're um, just churches. Definitely on par with her. Churches, there. churches, serial killers, and a history of being free settlers, which just makes you evil. And- yeah, we totally. really don't have any culture. It's just impossible to culture things in South Australia, like, say, for example, viruses. Mm. It's a grand old flag. It's a high-flying flag. It's the emblem for me and for you. It's the emblem of... It's really very embarrassing for you if they lose their first game after you've spent all this time on record chanting their song. No, no. I, I'd never get to sing the song when we win because we don't win. So, <laughs> I may as well sing it when we when there's no game on. I'm thinking I might um actually head off because it's been an hour and a bit. I'm not sure if you can hear me, Sharon, but uh, I'm feeling a little bit tired at this point. Yeah, I was going to end it when Sharon got back because I'm actually busting. So I was like, as soon as Sharon gets back, I'm going to run off and leave you two to talk. But uh, I was like, I'd. Anyway, uh, I can see her typing in the chat, so I think she probably can hear us. There we go. There we go. Oh, well, I hope she enjoyed my singing. Uh, look, Sharon. No one enjoyed your singing, but the, the thought is appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> While you were gone, we just had nerdy Dungeons and & Dragons and World of Darkness, like, tabletop role-playing talk. So you can listen to that later. But um, I think it's a good idea to end here, and we'll call this episode zero or whatever you want to call it and um up to you but i Mm. think matt and i are both ready to go about the rest of our nights Mm. well it was lovely talking with you both i hope you both have a lovely evening yeah if you if you're ever in melbourne um we'll definitely have to have some sort of amps thing we definitely will i have been there a couple of times but i don't think i got to catch up with you so man i've never been to adelaide but rest assured if i ever do end up there i'll uh i'll let everybody relevant know excellent sounds good yeah all righty well i think sharon's uh wanting us to leave so take care of both of you have a lovely night yeah see you later see ya Hi everyone, I apologise at the end there for the technical difficulties. All of us at some point experienced some mic or sound difficulties and you no doubt noticed some glitches with sound editing, but I hope that these will be resolved the next time around. I hope that you enjoyed listening to this podcast just as much as we enjoyed making it. 
If you would like to be a guest on the next episode, send us a DM with your idea and we'll have a chat about it. This is all new and experimental and we hope to have a bit of fun with it. Everyone, you have a great week. Stay COVID safe and look out for one another. Hey there, Sharon. Hello. Can you hear me? (laughs) I certainly can. Excellent. Oh, fantastic. You sound very clear. Is my, are you sure? It's definitely much clearer. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, good. I'm currently speaking to my laptop speaker. Um, did you, hello as well, Steve? Yes. G'day. Welcome. Welcome, Steve. Yeah. Thank you. No worries. Glad to be here. Lovely to hear your voice. Um, now I'm just going to test something very quickly. I want to see if, um, if I just play this through the speakers, whether or not um, it's going to give you guys feedback. Just a second. Okay. Can one? Can someone say something? I'd love to talk about many different things and many different topics. I'm just filling in the space so that you can do that particular That's, sound test. I love your work. Thank you, Steve. Could either of you no hear feedback of what Steve was saying through my speakers? It was fine here. No. No. Could you hear it, Steve? Uh, no feedback. It was all good. Fantastic. We are living in the 21st century. Excellent. Um, Did you see my message in the chat, Sharon? Um, Let me just check. One second. Uh, Long long story short, I've got Danny here as well. Uh, She's wondering if she can also join in as well. Is that all right? Um, Yeah, that's fine. That'd be, oh, the more the merrier. Yeah, that's fine. Has she um, her own connection? Uh, we'll probably just speak through the same. We'll probably just speak through my laptop. Okay. Now you're cutting out a little bit. You're sounding a little tinny. How's that? Is that better? Sounds okay to me. Speak again. Speak again. Hello, Sharon. Yep, that sounds cool, like cool. Okay. So don't go too far. So yeah. uh, we'll just speak through the same laptop. So okay, that's great. Um, has have we heard any confirmation from Chloe? I don't think so. Also, would you like to say hello, Danny? Oh, yeah, also hello. <laughs> hey, Danny. G'day, Danny. So we're not expecting Tim because Tim is playing D&D like the gigantic nerd he is, and I'm very jealous because I wish I was as well, although this is a very good substitute. Um, who else is going to be coming? Is Tanania going to be joining us? Or I don't believe no. so. Um, should, should we do a um, conduct a round robin maybe? And because I don't know how familiar you are, Matt, with Steve. Uh, no, I don't think we've ever spoken before, although I have seen you post in AMPS. Yeah, no, I don't think we've had much to do in terms of direct communication, but uh, yeah, definitely seen you around. Um, Steve, um, would you be um, happy to perhaps um, talk a little bit about, this isn't being recorded, by the way, um, yep. so it'll be like, this is just all very informal. Yep. If you could um, enlighten us um, a little bit about yourself sure yeah um and your experiences yeah absolutely so i um 
I converted to Christianity um, when I was in my teenage years, and that's significant because I ended up going uh, into Bible college. I um, then went on to do various types of ministry, including church ministry. So I served for a couple of years at a church in um, Sydney's North Shore, um, where I ran the young adults ministry. Mm. And so I was there for a number of years, but I ended up um, losing my faith through a very long process. And so my faith fell apart piece by piece and i ended up um leaving the church and leaving any type of christian faith and i've since reconstructed my own you know worldview since that time interesting yeah so history as well as my major um so i did a bit of philosophy and history at uh, university while i was studying there um which was all part of the process that actually ended up dismantling my faith but um, yeah, so at the moment I'm a teacher. Um, I run a tutoring college up in uh, the Blue Mountains in, in New South Wales. Hmm. What? Do you mind if I ask what you teach specifically? Or um, mostly English, but I do maths and history and a bit of science. One thing I've so, just wondered, is asking someone what they teach specifically is that a good question or is that not reflective of how teaching works? It's generally a very effective question at the at secondary level. So high school teachers, they do tend to specialise. Hmm. Um, I'm, I'm technically supposed to be a specialist in history English in that hmm. order, but I ended up teaching English most of the time and maths because there's a shortage of maths teachers. But hmm. I'm, I'm perfectly happy to do it. It's all good. I have heard about the shortage of maths teachers as well. And as a, as a horrible maths student, um, I can understand why, because I don't make it easy for people like you. So I teenage me apologizes. <laughs> no, no, no problem at all. I actually like it when kids have a bit of sass, like it makes it more interesting. I'm one of these teachers, I want to roll with that. It's like, yeah, come on, bring what you got. Let's play, let's play. I, I'm, not even, I'm not even talking about trouble. I'm just talking about complete apathy. I imagine that's uh, a bit hard to work with. You know, I don't mind that either because you know you, if you can find a way to get under the skin of some kids, like you'll you'll get them. And, and I'm, that sounds really negative, but I actually mean it in a positive way. If you can put something in them that makes them go, you know what, I'm not happy with just sitting here, then yeah, you can light them up, put a fire under them. It's a beautiful thing. You are right. I would agree with you on that. Um, probably the teacher in high school that did make the biggest impact on me would have been the math teacher, because eventually one day he just sort of took me out of class, left the class alone for like 15 minutes and just sat with me and explained to me that, that, come on, you can do this. What are you doing? So that didn't make a difference then, but it's as an adult, it's made a bit of a difference knowing that back then someone was keeping an eye on me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, so, so you're not left in the dark as well. Um, so I'm Matt. Um, I, God, I, I studied a couple of things at university, mostly science related, um, health okay. science and agricultural sciences. I've yep. worked mostly at the supermarket, though I've briefly worked um, as a research assistant, and now I work uh, for a utility, just basically in the faults section of it. So helping coordinate um, responses to faults and organizing how important they all are in the, how they all relate to each other. Um, and I also moderate amps in my spare time, which is a ongoing, never-ending nightmare. <laughs> I think it's a it's a beautiful project. You're you're a manager in the great conversation, and that is what this world needs. So kudos. As much as a nightmare as it is, wake up and feel like a bit of a hero because you. Oh, what are the swearing things margins on this? Am I allowed to swear? Sharon. Sorry. Oh, she's gone. Are we allowed to uh, share swearing? Are we allowed one f bomb per per recording or? Uh, well, I ticked that we haven't got explicit content. 
but I don't think that one f bomb is going to, you know, count as so. So, uh, so we get one. Okay. We, all right. So we, I'll we, save, we it. One <laughs> save <Yeah>. it. <laughs> Perfect. We're, we're probably allowed one f bomb between like the three of us, or one each. Okay. Okay. Oh, you, you can have both of mine, Steve. So, yeah, it's all right. I'm a, I'm a little bit of a sailor sometimes, so I've, I've just got to keep it under control. She'll be right, oh. even though I'm a teacher. I'll, I'll switch into teacher mode. <laughs> Danny, do you want to briefly introduce yourself? Um, yeah, hi, Steve. Um, G'day. Yeah, so I am Danny. Um, I studied commerce, majoring in management in uni, um, and I'm currently an executive assistant in a professional services firm. I've um, been on AMPS for a while. I don't tend to comment or post a lot, but I do a lot of lurking and uh, seeing what people are up to. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen you around. Yep. Got it. Now, are we expecting many more people or just the four of us? It, I have not heard back from Chloe, but that well, she that is actually said, working, working. So, so uh, she could be having a busy night, mm. and she works from home. So, don't we all at the moment? Well, maybe not all of us. Yeah, well, some of us are, you know, neat <laughs> like myself <laughs> at the moment. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, maybe we, should, we 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 can make a um, a start um, if Chloe if we can roll out Chloe not um, coming in. Yeah, maybe um, just keep going as we are, and uh, if she joins in, she joins in. But um, I think we spent a while last time waiting for that, and it just never happened. Exactly. Okay. So, Matt, would you like to kick things off, or would you like me to kick things off? Uh, oh, sure. I'm happy to kick things off. Um, just a generic greeting, I suppose. Um, I, I'll, I usually do the greeting after we've started, so then we know, ah, of we course. know exactly what we've said. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, well, um, it's very nice to be speaking with you, Steve, and uh, it's also nice to have Danny here because we weren't here last time. So first time for a couple of you. Um, don't be nervous. Uh, I'll protect you both from Sharon. Um so what we are talking about tonight is, is a couple of strat couple of things. Um, it's very loose. So if you if something uh, reminds you of something else, feel free to mention that and uh, go off on that. Although I think we're sort of trying to keep it to a, a couple of topics just so we know what we're talking about. The, the main one mostly is um, you know coping with change, um, big things in your life. Do you like have you ever? Are you very? I suppose the way I'd phrase it is. Um, have you had very many big things in your life that you've really had to work to cope with? Um, have you found anything works particularly well for you? Um, is there anything, for example, in the current situation that you found um, has required a bit of adjustment in your life? Uh, the only other thing that we were sort of thinking of talking about, if we all feel like it, um, maybe uh, I believe cancel culture was one of them. So obviously um, with the statues at the moment, we talked about that last week, but uh, there's also been a little bit of, people discussing in the last fortnight or so, um, deplatforming who should and shouldn't be allowed to talk about certain topics um, and whether that's a really productive way of approaching political issues. Um, aside from that, I suppose it would just be wherever the night takes us, unless I've missed something out, Sharon. 
no, I think that you've you've covered it all, Matt. I'll stop. <laughs> Alrighty. <laughs> um, so one thing I'll if if I'm if you're happy for me to kick this off, um, one of the things that I was sort of thinking about the way we can sort of start the topic is. Um, would it, would would you both say, or all three of you, I suppose, would would you say that you're fairly good at coping with major life events, or not so good, or you've like any particular lessons that you've learned, or? Hmm. Can I lead off with that one? Um, right so, ahead. yeah, like in terms of um, coping with major life events, um, I've been through a very significant major life event, and that was losing my Christian faith, mm. having been a very strong, I would say, fundamentalist uh, Christian. And losing that faith and going through that process was a massive worldview change. Mm. Um, and that was an exceptionally difficult uh, transition. And I would focus on that as being something that I really did struggle with. Um, it put me in depression, uh, well, well, what was described at the time as depression, for effectively three years. And mm. it really, yeah, massive life change. That was difficult. But I would say generally, I'm generally good at adapting with change. So I'm happy moving to a new place, getting a new job, new relationship, these sort of things, much less of an issue. But the worldview thing, that was much more challenging. Mm. Did you find it challenging just because, like, was there anything particular? that, Like, how did it change your day-to-day -day when you found you, you had to make that change in how you saw the world? So we're going to have to go a little bit into sort of the Christian worldview to, to explain that. It's It's... For me particularly, and as I say, I was I was on the more fundamentalist end of Christianity. So I genuinely believed that um, God was an active force in this earth and that there were spirits, demons, Satan, the whole thing. And I engaged with that on a daily basis. So my, my day was saturated with prayer. I would fast. I would um, listen for the voice of God to lead me um, in major decisions. So to have that, that sense of an omnipotent and omniscient companion who is with me every day, all day, to have that suddenly taken away was like a grief and, and a loss that that was traumatic. And it meant that my, my daily function was affected. And I no longer had the same way of interacting with the world that I previously had. And so mm -hmm. that was that was a very significant transition. I had to rebuild in a lot of ways, everything about my life, every decision was ultimately. Steve, <laughs> Steve, could I just cut in there? Yeah. Um, you mentioned that you had, um, you suffered at that time with grief, loss, and that was very traumatic for you at the time. How did you deal with that, with that grief and loss mm. of all of a sudden not having, um, god or not having what you perceived as god at that time in your life uh no longer because i i assume that you would have had um many christians and many people who shared your faith at the time around you yeah. uh, and then all of a sudden being cut off from that uh, i imagine that would have been quite a lonely time for you yeah um I always had good friends who were able to walk with me through the whole process. See, I really believe that humans are strongly relational and we are emergent creatures. And what that, what I mean by that is who we are emerges from the circumstances. And so we're constantly being stimulated by our environment and that, that affects 
so much about our worldview and our experience and our interactions. So for me, the way to cope with that ultimately was I did have to step completely out of that world. I had to, I did, I ended up moving to the Blue Mountains. I was originally in Sydney and part of the process of me adapting to, to a new way of being was to move house, uh, to, to start creating new friendship networks, new ways of being so that I wasn't trapped in this deficiency of the old way because I couldn't match the old way anymore. It wasn't me. Mm-hmm. And if I tried to soldier on and pretend it wasn't an issue, then I would have been trapped perpetually in that um, sense of inadequacy and mm-hmm. inability. Now, thank you for sharing that, Steve. I, um, I'll be honest, like I've, I've been religious before, but I've never really been, I've never had it be that much of a part of my life. So I guess I've never really thought about how it could affect someone like that. So no, thank you. That's that's definitely an eye-opener on um, just how much it really can affect people's lives and it sort of puts it into perspective of people. Like, I imagine there's... um, just makes me think of how you get a lot of atheists who are very dismissive about religion. Uh, mm. I wonder if they're just, they're just not aware of just how important it is to some people's lives that it is a day-to-day thing that people rely on. Um, oh, I absolutely agree. Like, I, I, think, I think atheists... Um, often, not always, like naturalistic atheists do struggle with the sense of what it is to have a spiritual experience. So if, if someone if someone hasn't really explored the spiritual side of their life with transcendental experience and, and this sort of thing, it is difficult to relate to just how kooky and crazy these people can be. But I was definitely on the extreme end of the spectrum. I've got no two ways about that. Like I was, and I described myself as a fundamentalist during that time, and I, I think that's the right term. But it was exceptional. I, I, I don't think most people would have that degree of an experience. But I think in places like the south of the United States, there are a lot more people who do, where mm. that's a lot more inculcated into the culture. So, yeah, it is part of the Western experience, but I think it's a little bit more rare here in Australia. Just because, um, don't don't worry, we'll all get our turn to talk about our own uh, our own problems. Don't worry, Steve. But um, yeah. just, just while the iron is hot, was there... Any, anything you found was like, was there a particular moment that became a turning point when you were trying to recover from all that? Or well, not recover, but when you were just trying to learn how to, to sort of readapt to your new life? Was there a particular thing that you found that was a real, like, here we go, now I'm on the right track, I'm starting to get a lot better and I'm starting to really come to terms with it all? There were multiple aspects to it because there were multiple aspects to the problem. I, if I had to pinpoint the one thing, I would say it was when I, moved away and created a new life with new structures, new connections. That's what really helped me through. But there was still the lingering issue of mortality because, of course, as a Christian, I believed I was going to live forever. And to have that suddenly taken away, you know what? You're going to die. And that's that's going to be, in some ways, as far as you know, the end of the story. That took years. That took years to come to terms with. But but most of it, most of the change was was changing networks, moving to a new place, uh, you know, and, and that was hard in its own ways. But I had people around me that were willing to walk with me in that, so that, that's fine. Steve, may I just um, pitch you pitch in there, um, pitch in again? Um, mm. You you mentioned um, that as a Christian, of course, do you believe that you were never going to die? Um, and had to reconcile as an atheist that once you die, you die. That's it. 
Mm. Was there any particular philosophical um, teachings or principles that you had to uh, or that you used to uh, help? Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, I never, I never identified as an atheist, um, I should point out, and I, I still don't. Um, what I went through was a deconstruction of a very Christian worldview. And it was, it was through what people would generally call atheist or naturalistic principles. So I was interested in scientific thinking, etc. cetera. Um, but I never, I never let go of the sense that this world is, there's a spiritual aspect to being human. And so for me, it was a case of, okay, if, if this Bible thing is no longer something that can meet those needs in me, well, what else is there out there? And I was able to reconstruct uh, or, or construct a new, a completely different philosophy. And that was able, and I, through that process, I was able to deal with things like mortality. So yeah, I did. I had to build up my own spiritual worldview. And that's, that's what I operate out of now. Well, um, that's, a, that's a lot of sharing, Steve. So I don't want you to feel like a, we're just sort of grilling you. So um, oh, I'll go for it if you want to. I'm happy. I'm very open. <laughs> Um, I'm, oh, would anyone mind so if I chipped in now, or did you have anything else you wanted to say, Sharon? Go for it. Go for it, sure. Thank you so um, much, Steve. Thank you for sharing your story. That yeah, no really worries. Cool. And uh, if yeah, feel free to just jump back in at any point. If anyone says something that reminds you of something else, or Sharon or Danny, if you think of something that you want to mention, just jump right in. Um, for me, I suppose the, um, the, the biggest one I've ever had to come to terms with that I'd have to describe is, uh, I think it was five, almost five years ago now, five years ago next month, hooray. Um, I, I, was, uh, I had to go to hospital because I had appendicitis and that was fairly routine. They, uh, they cut me open, they took it out. I got to have the, the cute little scar. It's very tiny now. They, um, they can do everything just through a tiny little keyhole slit. Um, and a, a short while later after that surgery, I got a call back from the hospital letting me know that they'd found some tumors in the appendix. Um, and at the time, I didn't really worry about it that much because I'd been learning a bit about cancer at university and I knew that tumours were... a lot. Tumours take a lot of different forms and most of them are actually quite benign. Well, many of them are quite benign. So I wasn't worried at that point. But um, that ended up turning into the need for a second surgery in which they removed um, about half my large intestine, which then proved it was cancer, which then required a follow-up surgery... And it ended up drawing out into a three or four year process where I've just had multiple surgeries. Um, I think it going through while I was trying to study full time. Um, and uh, I ended up being quite a, I didn't realize that at the time. And this is sort of what I put is that that'd probably be the biggest time of my life where I've had, I'd, I suppose, something that I've had to really adapt to. And it has been a, a real um, something I've had to cope with. Um, but at the time, I, what I realized is I was actually coping. I thought I was coping with it very well at the time um, because I would be sitting in a hospital bed recovering with a surgical wound and I'd be typing up notes on my, my laptop for uni. Um, I thought I was handling it perfectly fine. Um, but as the sort of the months and the days drew on, um, I you know, started having bad days and I've gone, oh, that's a bit weird. Um, normally I don't get, a bit, get that grumpy or I'm a bit better with work. But I'll, uh, you know, I'll just go to bed and do better tomorrow. And then that would turn into a bad week, which would turn into a bad month. And um, it took me a, probably a few months to realize that something was actually going on there. Um, and I've, I've sort of realized that the way that I end up dealing with a lot of these, the major things in my life, it tends to be a very 
drawn out process where I don't have an initial reaction. It just slowly keeps piling on me for a period of several months. Um, so it was the, and apart from the initial surgery, which was physically, I, it wasn't pleasant. I'll be honest. Um, uh, they had to take a decent amount out and it, the physical side effects were very unpleasant. Um, I had a lot of yo-yoing in my weight as well, but um, in addition to that, because they just kept finding it would get worse, it would turn from, well, now I have to think about what does my life look like in, in five years? Um, what happens if they find out it's gotten worse? What will I do if, um, if, they, if it turns out in the worst case scenario, um, I don't have much longer to live? Um, and that was definitely something that obviously, I think I was 21 at the time. You don't think about that at 21 unless you've got a reason to think about it. And, and I unfortunately did. Um, and unfortunately I had to learn the hard way that my way of coping tends to be very, uh, delayed. So it wasn't until I was well and truly over it and no one was really thinking about supporting me that I'd really started actually needing the support funnily enough. Yeah. Yeah. Did you consider yourself to be a like a very stoic or independent kind of person that you wouldn't open up to people like you wanted to do everything on your own? Oh, that's a personal attack. Um, <laughs> the, I didn't mean it as one, but okay. No, no, no. The, uh, the answer would be yes. Um, but it's not, it's not because I'd say I'm a very stoic person. Um, I don't know what I No, I don't think I am. Um, but it's just more, I, I felt like I was capable of handling it on my own. So I didn't need to worry other people about it. I suppose that's a better way of describing it. I didn't, I'm a very unimposing person. I didn't want to, to worry someone else about something that could have not been their problem. So I decided not to make it their problem. Hmm. Yep. That makes sense. Sure. Horrible way to cope with things. I'll be honest. Um, I should not have done that. Um, it, basically led to people being very detached from what my actual state was and then the few times that it became unbearable and I had to open up it basically just seemed to them like it had come out of nowhere um so don't recommend that at all um if anyone listening to this uh starts approaching things that way don't do that um do something else what would you recommend uh Matt um if I could do it all over again I'd rather not, to be honest. Um, but I suppose what I'd recommend would be... Actually, it's, it's kind of hard. I suppose I shouldn't be dismissive of people who are thinking that way because I genuinely thought I was dealing with it well until months down the track. So I suppose part of it would be if you do have a major life event and you think you're handling it well, just be conscious of the fact that that doesn't mean you're handling it well just because you think you are which might be hard to, it was, it took me a while to grasp as well, to be honest, but just um, be aware that your own mind might be playing tricks on yourself. Do you, did you reach a point where you, sorry, I was jumping in there, but did you reach a point where you feel like you were adequately supported by the people around you? Like everyone knew what was going on and, and they were there for you. Did you feel you had that network? Um, for some people, yes. There were one or two people who were very much aware of how everything was affecting me, and I'd sort of made them aware in my own my own very toned-down way. Um, the majority of people in my life, I'd say, just weren't aware. Um, so, and I think, 
I think if like they probably would have appreciated being made more aware of it. And I think I would have been in a much better position if I had made the people aware of it as well. Um, If nothing else, it would have actually made them more a part of my life. And we're talking family and very close friends here. So really they, they should be a part of my life and they want to be a part of my life. And I, I, in in an attempt to make their lives easier, I chose not to let them in. Um, And I think that was a mistake. Yeah, yeah. See, I, I'm convinced that there's a there's a connection crisis going throughout the Western world that we're not very good at creating these connections that are because of our hyper individualism, because of our sense of you know we can do it on our own sort of thing. That we do struggle sometimes making those connections and being open. Maybe and maybe that's a particularly male thing. I don't know, but certainly there's some evidence that way. How about Sharon and Danny? since we're talking about it being a particularly male thing, do you think people are sort of struggling to actually connect with each other? Well, I'll let Danny answer that there. So <laughs> she's sharing the same computer and space as, as you. Um, and then... I'm not sure if it's a specifically male thing, but I also am not a male, so cannot speak from that angle, but... I would say that I have struggles making connections with people Um, myself. I've always blamed it on being a bit of an introvert and being a bit shy, but, Mm. you know, perhaps, perhaps there is more of a cultural thing to it. I'm not actually sure. Um, You know, I think there are definitely plenty of people out there who would feel the same way. And I guess when you look at society more broadly, you know, when you think about, incels and all that sort of stuff there's clearly a lot of people who are feeling that way and struggling to make connections um yeah um because you have actually lived in the uk for about was it six months yeah six months did you notice people there were what was the social life would it would you say it was closer or less close than australia or is there not much difference um, it's a little bit hard to say in that I didn't make friends with a lot of people who were actually from the UK. Um, most mm. of the people I interacted with were from other overseas countries, um, mostly Canada and the US. Um, but I would also say that most of the people I knew there seemed to connect with each other quite easily. But again, I would probably all type them as being extroverted people to begin with. Um, so yeah, I'm not really sure how much, how, how much use that is, because I would say that most of the people that I interacted with on exchange were probably very outgoing people Mm. to begin with. So I'm not sure it's a good sample pool to Mm. judging cultures by. See, even then in the UK, because, you know, the, the culture isn't that dissimilar to Australia's as well. I'm not sure how well it would speak to the fact it's, well, my Western problem, the idea that we yeah. are, we've got those walls up, you know, between our private lives. And so being highly emotional in public, for example, in our culture is frowned on. You're not supposed mm. to cry in public. You're not supposed to call out. And that's because to us, emotions are a private thing. And this all speaks to our, our way of connecting with people. It's, we're very selective. It's only in certain circumstances that you can open up. I mean, in Sydney, and I don't know what it's like across a lot of Australia, but I, but I do know, for example, in Sydney, if you start talking to a random person, 
it's weird and it's creepy. Like mm. even even when the when the cashier when you when you're on your way out and they strike up a conversation, which rarely would happen, but if they did, I know a lot of people who'd find that extremely uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and I probably would too, to be honest. But I think it just speaks to our culture and the way the way that we don't normally connect. Mm. Connection is actually almost like uh, a minority of what we're looking for in in our daily lives. We we relegate it to a very small part our social time, you know, and uh, it's. There are a lot of cultures in the world that just are not like that, hmm. that that interact more emotively and, and, and more thoroughly on an ongoing basis. And it is there's a lot less privacy, but there's also a lot more connection. Isn't that the truth, though? Can I ask what cultures are more like that? Yeah, so um, a, a lot of traditional cultures uh, are far more open. Um, and I, I'm speaking from anecdotal evidence. So I'm speaking from, you know, people I've spoken to, say, from Native American um, who, who, who live in that, in that setting, who in a, a semi-traditional um, lifestyle. That, for example, if, if, you're, if you're sleeping with someone, your, your parents are in the next room, like the, like, and, and they can hear what's going on. And that kind, of, that kind of lack of privacy is just not a thing in the West. We find that confronting. Um, so I'm not I'm not saying this is the way to go. I'm just saying that there are differences in human approaches to connection, and that there is scope for difference in terms of the way our society is doing it. One thing I would comment on um, is I'm a little I, I'm aware that um, uh, one one example to draw upon is uh, grieving for when someone passes away. I know yeah. Greek culture. Um, and Chinese culture, traditional Chinese culture, I'm actually drawing upon very old text here, so I could be out of date. It's, a, it's, it's not a you have a funeral and you get over it. It's an elongated process of ritualized grieving. In, in Greek culture, you're not actually meant to say the person's name for, I think, a month after they pass away. Um, and there's, there's not just the funeral where you go to the grave and have a funeral and that's it. There's the, the, the month after they've died, then there's the, I think the three months or the half year after they died, the year after they've died. There's this continual, gradual process of acknowledging that they have gone for this amount of time. Um, so I suppose in a certain way, that's, it's not the same kind of connectivity you're both talking about, but I think it's symptomatic of that's a willingness to show and be open about connections in a way that, in, in Western societies, you have the you have the funeral, you have the um, the drinks afterwards, or you have the coffee and the biscuits, and then after that, everything from that on is sort of much more private. It's there's no real rigid structure for here's how you openly discuss that this person's no longer here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and 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 there are examples of different ways different cultures do it, and I wouldn't say. I'm not a believer that like, this is the one right way. Like, I just don't believe that's the case. But I do think the fact that other experiences do exist just points to the fact that we have a potential deficiency here in the West in terms of connection. And I think that's, got, that's a massive factor for so many of the mental health issues that, that people are facing because I, I just I fundamentally believe we're built for that connection and that connection is meant to ameliorate these pains that we experience and those transitions. Those things that we go through, man, we need those people walking with us. And often we don't. Mm-hmm. Often we don't. And that's that's a massive part of why it's it's so difficult. Mm-hmm. That's that would be my thesis on the matter, but you know, I, plenty of other perspectives, I'm sure. 
Hmm. I suppose. And I think, um, and I have to say that I am 100% with you on this, Steve. I consider myself an introvert. Um, I'm a very solitary person. And I am by myself a lot. Hmm. And when this um, COVID-19 um, pandemic hit, all of a sudden I was uh, not just solitarily um, confined by choice, but I was solitarily confined by force. Yeah. It was a completely different thing. Um, I no longer had the choice to uh, rent, just go down to the coffee shop, sit there, have a coffee, journal, uh, enjoy the people walking by, say hello to the person making the coffee or whatever, have some idle chit-chat. And it's amazing how many of the little things that once connected us um, just suddenly overnight stopped and it was so sudden that change Yep. Um, was not incremental. It was overnight. And it affected me really, really, um, it affected me quite badly. Mm. And uh, it was challenging. Absolutely. So, and I'm, I'm sure that I'm not the only one. I think I heard Julia Gillard on uh, television, was it last night or the night before, saying that, calls to Beyond Blue and the like have um, increased dramatically by, from people who have been living in isolation um, who wouldn't normally call but just simply because they um, have been affected and they um, are not coping with this mm. island, living in this island. Absolutely. You know the one that surprised Sorry, Matt, do you want to go? Um, I was... No, I'll let you go first, Steve. I was just going to say, the one that surprised me was how much I missed as basic a thing as giving family a hug. And so when we went through, I think it was about six... I'm here in Sydney. And so I wouldn't even go see my family, and I live alone. And I, it was a weird feeling I started getting after a while of that. I'm like, it's just that that connected contact with people i'm just not getting it and it did sort of create like a really suppressive effect in in like my emotions were just not there and it was weird and i've never had anything like that before i just yeah i really believe we're made for those sort of contact and connections and when we're not getting it there's going to be mental health issues associated hmm. do you do you mind if i just ask sharon um because obviously you've mentioned that you were very significantly affected sounds like um for you, it was it was just more your you've lost a lot of day to day rituals and comforts that you you relied on to have a bit of a grounding in your life. Um, mm. Did you find anything was able to help you with that, or um, was there any ways you wish you'd handled it better? Now that uh, you're, you're a little bit past it now. Well, the restrictions have eased uh, significantly in South Australia. Then, uh, of course, in other states. Victoria, mm. which have unfortunately for Victorians, uh, Melbournians, they've doubled down on. Uh, but for me, uh, I, I had to go back to philosophy and I had to go back to reading 
my uh, favourite philosophies, which are, of course, uh, Seneca and Marcus Aurelius, just to, nice. just to find my grounding once again, because I, I completely had given up on, on reading these guys and I'd given up on journaling and I'd just taken to my bed again. And it's amazing how, how quickly it is to fall out of, really, of good habits and to fall right back into, into bad habits. And that's exactly what happened. So it was quite even before into a depression. And I, um, that's what, ex that's what felt, uh, that's what um, hindered me. But what helped me was getting back into those good habits. And so what I did is I picked up those books again. I started reading, I started journaling, I started getting out of bed, opening the curtains in the morning taking my dog for a walk, writing down and thinking about what I'm grateful for, thinking about things that have happened to me that are positive, thinking about things that I could do to make things better, uh, not worrying about things that are out of my control and just going about my day. And it's, it's just amazing how those little things those little changes that I, I have made to my life um, have improved uh, the circumstances that I find myself currently in. Awesome. Was there anything that um, really made you decide, okay, this is the point that I need to start picking this up again? Because it sounds like you'd always had those as a, a support and something you really found a grounding in, but... Um, was there anything that really sort of was like, okay, now I need to start getting back into this or what made you realize that? Okay. Um, yeah, there is a, a story to this. Um, basically, um, I live with my very ill mother. She's been ill for quite some time, but uh, for probably the last 12 months, she's deteriorated quite rapidly. She, uh, some of her health, conditions which are fairly complex um, include uh, she's an end stage renal failure uh, sorry to hear that insulin dependent type 2 diabetes she's hypertensive and probably the most challenging thing that uh, issue that I'm dealing with or facing at the moment is her uh, uh, vascular dementia uh, and to this has not been it's been incremental but probably over the past few months it's really started to become uh, very symptomatic um, her mood changes have been um, sometimes quite fast and quite furious she can go from very sweet to very sour she can be aggressive she can be very violent. She can uh, say very uh, offensive or um, uh, nasty things to me. And I suppose um, at one point um, during uh, one stage when I was very depressed, she said uh, a number of things that hurt me and I know that they shouldn't hurt me because when someone obviously with dementia says things, they don't mean it. 
it's impulsive. They don't remember it three seconds after they've said it. It's it's just an unfortunate um, condition that people go through, and it's a process. Mm. Um, but it's also something that um, that hurts, and and yeah. and uh, I had to acknowledge that yes, it hurt me. But I also had to acknowledge that going to bed, pulling the covers around me, making my room dark, and crying about it is going to do is going to do me no good. So I just had to um, go into myself, think about it, and try and make um, some positive changes. Uh, and that included um, thinking about my mother, my relationship with her, how it's changed, and um, looking to coping strategies, not just um, for me and my life, but looking into coping strategies for my mum and how I can implement those into our day-to-day -day lives and... We, we do that together. I mean, it's not like I say to mum, hey, this is what Marcus Aurelius would do, because uh, obviously that's not going to mean a hell of a lot to her. But uh, when I do things, when I first thing I do when I get up in the morning is I write in my journal. Uh, first, uh, first the last thing I do before I go to bed is I awesome. I'm an insomniac, so sometimes that's three in the morning, but... Um, when when I get up and I get her breakfast, I get her medications and that sort of thing. I I do it with a, a stoic attitude. I do so with a stoic attitude. So that is something that I have learnt, and that is something that I apply to my my life now. And some days I fall down, and and uh, and I have to get up and start again but that's okay too because that's part of stoicism and that's part of learning and that's part of growing yeah first of all sharon i just want to say like i'm sorry to hear that you you know you're in that situation and you've had that going on because that's obviously very difficult like it's that's going to take a toll on anyone so you know just want to acknowledge that right from the bat um yeah, um, and in a way, I really respect the fact that you that you are doing your best to face it. You're you're looking at it, you're thinking it through about different strategies to approach it. Um, one of my friends is um, he's a trauma therapist, and okay, one of the things he um, which which is handy actually because when I go out and have beers or whatever, I can get free therapy. It's pretty good, <laughs> but he, yeah, it's not bad. But he's um. One of the, his things that he talks about, and when I say trauma therapy, he's the guy who, um, if someone comes into a hospital and they've they've OD'd, like they're an addict or something like this, or they're an alcoholic and they've just, you know, smashed something up or whatever, they come to the hospital, they get uh, psych evaluated and they say, okay, this person's addicted, they've got trauma, they've got this, that, and they throw it to him and he's the guy who has to, you know, work with them. So it's it's pretty full on stuff. Um, and he's, like, he's had very extreme cases clients who have been suicidal all the rest of it and one of the things he always bangs on about when he's talking about these things he says you know what you've got to feel your pain 
He says, but a lot of these people, they're not acknowledging their pain adequately. They're trying to, they're trying to run from it. They're trying to hide from it. You've got to feel it. And he says, it hurts. It hurts so much and it sucks, but you've got to do it. And that's, I really, I really bring that. So when, when, Dan, when you were saying that, um, you know, you're saying, oh, I don't want to be in my room and cover myself at night and just cry. And I'm like, a part of me is like, yeah, maybe that's a good idea sometimes. Maybe that's a really good idea. As long as, as long as there are other things as well, uh, I don't, I think that's actually quite a helpful thing. Am I still here? Yeah, I absolutely um, agree. Um, I'll, I'll just try to dig up the. Um... That does. Well, well, it sounds like you're, uh, you're, you're looking for something, Sharon, but. Um, just, um, well, just... well, I look for something. Um, continue, please continue. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. That does remind me of that. Um, that also ties into something I've done previously. Um, for a small amount of time, I was volunteering at Lifeline as well. Um, and oh, yes. uh, one of the things, I obviously have to go through a bit of training just to, to be able to do that. And one of the things that I learned out of it, which uh, is it's something that's actually quite, it's very counterintuitive to when you're, uh, if you're trying to talk to a friend or a family member or someone about a very sensitive situation, um, is they, they encourage it. One of the things you have to do as part of the process, because there's a process that they follow throughout the call, and one thing you have to do with the person is you have to, like you said, you have to, they call it sitting in the pain or sitting with the person in their pain. You, the, yes. When they say something that alludes to how much it's hurt them or what they're feeling, you can't just go, all right, we're well, quickly moving onwards. What can we do about that? You have to, it, yeah. there's no recovery without that time where you can just go, let's talk about that. Or that sounds like that was really hard or just getting them to open up about, yeah, that has really hurt and just letting them know it sounds like it hurt. And I agree with you there. And there's nothing because you're, you're just a stranger on the phone to them. There's nothing you can say to, to make it better. There's nothing you can, well, there's many things you can help with, but you can't, you, you can't cure them. Um, you can't, you don't know better than they do, but the best thing you can do for them is to just go, you're right. That, that sucks. And it really sounds like that hurt and to just let them feel it and just let them have someone with them while they're feeling it. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. And I think this is part of the whole coming back to the connection thing is we need people who are acknowledging the pain in our lives and we need that pain seen and recognized. And it's not, you know, there's that thing inside of us that says, Oh yeah, I know what, what it's like. I've been through something similar, but, I don't think that's always the right response. I, th I think sometimes no, you just got to go. Absolutely. Yeah, you've just got to go. Okay, no, you're you're in pain, and I see that, and that sucks for you. Yeah, right on, Matt. I, re I really agree with you. Mm. It's yeah. um. Sorry, you go. I was going to say, are you still looking for something, Sharon? Oh yeah, I I did find it, and then I, <laughs> um. I think it was on, yeah, it was on this page. While you're just bringing that up, can I just acknowledge, it looks like we've had Chloe drop in. Is that right? Can you hear us, Chloe? I have been here for a while. You have been there for a while. <laughs> How are you doing tonight? Oh, uh, yeah, Chloe. Not too bad. 
Hello. We've Hi. just been, uh, yeah, I can see you've been sitting there for a while. We've just been talking about, um, obviously, how, like, you know, significant life events, what we've done um, in terms of coping with things or how, what we've found useful, what we've found not useful. Um, and Steve's been very uh, forthcoming with some of his experiences as well as some uh, wisdom from his free beer-oriented counselling sessions. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I have uh, noticed pretty much as soon as the lockdown sort of started that a lot of people who have sort of um, pre-existing mental health issues, um, they're just being completely exacerbated by the lockdown. Mm. It's just be- and it's and it's made it sort of a lot harder to seek help. I mean, there are telehealth services uh, where you can speak to somebody, but it's not quite the same as actually sitting no. across from someone and talking about things. So, mm. and see that. When you speak of services there, that, that immediately makes me think, okay, we're looking to, to government services to provide some sort of yep. you know, amelioration or fix, which is obviously that's useful and good. But I also, I also wonder if there are cultural aspects, like that whole coming back to that whole connection idea, that there are just, I mean, how do you change that? Like, I feel like I'm just, you know, talking, in, you know, great wondrous ideas, but like, how does that happen practically? I'm not sure, but I really do think that there are cultural issues here as well, and the and the way that we habitually don't connect and at times might be part of these issues as well. Hmm. Mm. I mean, I have to admit that uh, there have been times when I've felt so depressed, very lonely, and on the verge of ending it all. Mm. And I have ridden ridden it out I, through the night, or, or I have just uh, contacted a friend via Facebook Messenger or whatever. Mm. Um, and I I I haven't even bothered contacting a um, a health service or a call like Beyond Blue or Lifeline or anything like that because I don't know. But just to me, it just sounds. <sighs> I don't Not- know. I mean. <sighs> Has any? I mean, what are you guys? What are your guys' thoughts? On I make a lot of calls to Lifeline and sort of things like that through work, and I they don't seem to sort of help as much as like face to face sort of things. Well, there's only so much they can do when they've got a time mm. limit as well. It's um, mm. definitely not ideal. No, one thing from working at Lifeline, it's some people like it's not always useful for everyone um i i would encourage if you ever feel like you do want someone to talk to to just try it anyway because um it could be useful for you Mm. however it's the what some people bring up um without realizing is that lifelines are very sort of a specific thing some people want to ring up and just talk about they just want to get their problems off their chest um, or they just want to talk about their day. Um, so when if someone rings up to Lifeline and they've got a problem that they want to talk about, um, that's really where they can shine because they're very the training is very oriented towards helping people work through acute issues that they're facing right now. Um, and it is a suicide service as well. So yeah. spe- specifically suicide um talking with people who are having suicidal ideation or they've got a plan sitting in front of them right now 
they were going to do it. They just thought they'd give it one last shot um, with talking to someone. But um, the people who are sort of having issues surrounding, they, they're lonely and they want someone to talk to. I think they, they can struggle a lot with Lifeline because it's, they're often, it's often discussed on the phone that, well, no, this isn't really a, a social service. Um, this is for very specific things. Yeah. And it can be a bit tricky because for people who think about their problems an awful lot, um, and have tried a lot of different things. It can be, it can be tricky speaking with Lifeline. Or it was I found those calls. I shouldn't speak on behalf of Lifeline, um, and I should say I don't really express opinions on their behalf. Um, but I found it very challenging to speak with people who knew their problems very well because all I really knew how to do was sort of talk about it with them, understand it, and help them find services that they could move on to which may be able to help them. But of course, for a lot of these people, they, they've, they've tried those services. They've called those hotlines. They've been to those counseling services and they didn't find them very useful, which yeah. uh, made me, I, I was always, I always struggled with those calls. And um, I thought it was something, I'm not sure if I just wasn't suited to it well enough or um, if maybe the, there were some opportunities for training, but uh, I certainly struggled with, with some of those calls. A lot of people, yeah, I think, seem to be under the impression that um, these services are there to provide, yeah, general counselling, and that's obviously not not the case at all. Yeah. I am. Um, I can't help but feel it. Like, and as I said, like I acknowledge the the value and need for these services because they obviously do a good job and they're obviously helpful in many circumstances. But I, but I wonder a bit, like, if, if psychologically we're relying on the fact that the government should step in to help when, when I think that there are, there are connection issues and I'm thinking about f family connections, I'm thinking about cultural and community connections that are actually preventative of a lot of these sorts of issues. Steve's out here really shilling for big connection tonight. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I'll get off my hobby horse. I just, really, but, but I do no, believe I, it. I, I love it. I just uh, had to, to take the jab. Sorry, Steve. Actually, you know what? Like what, while I'm riding that horse, um, you know how the, the research shows that people who are highly religious tend to live a little bit longer. And, yes. and, and so, yeah, there are multiple reasons, but, but obviously the primary one that comes down to is that, is that social support network. That, pe that you know that people are there with you and that cre that creates that extra little bit of mental health, that extra little bit of, then that filters down to physical health eventually. And and I think that's demonstrative. Like once we start splitting away from from a highly centralized narrative in our culture and we start saying, you know what, there is no there is no God, there is no judge, that sort of thing, which is fine. Like, and I, and I understand that from a, from a, you know, um, a worldview point of view, but it has, I would argue, done damage to our culture that we don't have that centralizing narrative and that sense of communion. You know what? The... Sorry, sorry to jump in there. I've just had a thought. I, I, Cause I, I was Christian at one point in my younger years. I, I wasn't very devout to be honest. And it's, it mm. came as no surprise to me, all the people around me that I grew out of it, but uh, I did yeah. go to church regularly and um, you're correct. And that there, that there is a very, surprise me. it's a very, <laughs> thank you, Sharon. It's a, it's a very supportive environment. I grew, I grew up in a very lovely church who were just a, the, the best bunch of people you can imagine. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, ever since becoming less religious and not going to church, I, I do find that I miss that. But one thing that what you were saying there um, made me realize, Steve, is that I have actually had a, at a couple of different points in my life, very similar things. And the one that yep. comes to mind for me was it was immediately after high school 
that's 2011, um, a bunch of us all from the same year level or the year level below, we decided that we didn't want to all lose contact with each other. So what we did is we picked a hotel that we all lived nearby. Um, and every Wednesday, without fail, we were there on Wednesday evening for shinies and beers. And we'd just spend three or four hours all just catching up. There'd be up to 20 to 30 of us sometimes. We'd just spend the awesome. night there just talking, having beers, sharing food. And now that I think about it, that's probably, that was a form of connection that church was as well. But it wasn't yeah. something tied to a spiritual belief. It was just having a sense of community with each other, knowing that this is the people that you can go to for this sort of stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Love it. I love it. That's that's an amazing example. And I, I think in a lot of ways in traditional Australian culture, I don't know if that's the right way to frame it, um, that going to the pub and hanging out with mates, that was all that was in a lot of ways the the, the fill in that stood in that gap. And and that still exists to some degree. So I wouldn't say we don't have any of that sort of thing, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's functioning at the same level it used to. Mm. We get, because we're so insular, you know, like we're all like, okay, I'm going to live in my, my room and I'm going to have the internet and I'm going to go on Facebook and that's going to be like my primary mode of connection. And, yeah. and obviously I do that. And so I'm not, I'm not criticizing it and saying it's wrong. It's just, I think that if it becomes a substitute and it becomes the primary mode of connection, I think then that's potentially going to cause problems over time. I think that's exactly exactly what happened to me. Um, I was talking to you guys recently about that. When I recently cut myself off from social media because I, I felt that I was using that as a crutch. Mm. Um, and I realised that it was unhealthy for me and I wasn't getting anything out of it. I was becoming more depressed, if anything. So I just severed all ties and I felt even more alone uh, and I have to admit I'm more despair, but at the same time I needed that time alone to realise that I could get by without social media because I was using that social media. I was using Facebook as my platform for connection. Whereas mm. where, when I was off it, I found that I could connect to people uh, other than Facebook, uh, other than people on Facebook in, in other ways. So um, can I do without social media? Yes, I can. But would I prefer, do I prefer to use social media? Yes, I do. But that's my choice. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's a good I, way to sorry. stay connected. It is a good. It is. It is. Um, absolutely. And, um, do you do you mind if I ask Chloe just um, touching on what I think we got sidetracked a bit after you spoke a bit about there of um, how you have your services previously and. Uh, some of them you haven't really found particularly useful. Um, have you have you found anything particular that um, you've found useful, or people around you have found useful? Um, bearing in mind that obviously, like you said, this uh, the COVID situation has just exacerbated a lot of issues for people and made uh, the ordinary troubles of life a, a little more troublesome. Hmm. 
That was a very good question. And I'm not really sure, to be honest. Um, I found a lot of people lately are reconnecting with people that they've lost touch with. And I think that's, um, that is possibly one good outcome, I guess, of all mm. this lockdown stuff. And I suppose just finding people who might um, give you a different perspective on things or it might be able to relate to you. Hmm. Um, that can often be quite helpful when you can't actually reach out to services like you usually would. Hmm. I can tell you've been listening to Steve's views on connection. I don't. I don't want to dominate the uh, the night with uh, just that one idea. I mean, I do think it's an extremely important one. I, but, um, no, I'm. I'm t- I think. I think it's. Um. It sounds like we all had similar experiences in that anyway. That um, either it's it has ended up being something we've regretted not not making taking advantage not taking advantage, but it's something we've regretted not um, having more in our lives, or we have found it useful, or. Even when we've had to take a break from it, we've found that what we did end up finding was that, oh, it turns out I actually do miss that. And uh, that was what I was missing the whole time. So turns out friendship was the answer all along. <laughs> friends are important, but it's, it's also important to have the right friends. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think everyone can also agree with that one. <laughs> Who hasn't had a, a horrible experience with friends? Mm. Well, that's um, and and I, I, yeah. Sorry, Chloe, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was gonna say. Well, that's sort of how you find out what kind of friends you want. Like you've got to go through the bad sometimes to get to the good ones. Hmm. Mm. Oh, well, that was a very nice and very touching discussion on troubles, everyone. Thank you very much for that. That was. I feel like I've, I've come away from that for a lot of things to think about. Oh, me too. Me too. How are we going for time? Do we want to uh, touch on anything else or since it's been about an hour? Has it really been that long? Apparently, yes. Oh, wow. It doesn't seem like it's been that long at all. No. Time flies. Uh, that it does. Well, uh, either way, I was I was actually clocking in for an hour. So uh, if that hour's up, I've got a couple other things I wouldn't mind doing tonight. So I might actually start to head off. Unfortunately, I'm very much enjoying the conversation, though. Oh, okay. Yep. Well, do chance. Apparently. Oh, I mean, do you, do you want to say, Danny? Or... You're running away. Matt, Matt, that's not a good way to run connections, my friend. you you got to connect. <laughs> you got to oh, oh, no, you got me. Oh. But uh, in, my, in my absence, you will learn to connect with each other. This is all for your own good. Oh, no, I'm doing what I said I used to do. I'm falling back into bad habits. Yeah, outrageous. No, you'll be fine. Uh, pleasure speaking with you all. Okay. Have a lovely take, evening. Take you too. No worries. Thanks, mate. See you later. Good times. Yeah, absolutely. And off he pops. <laughs> uh, uh, I was trying to find. I'm trying. I was actually trying to find that quote from Seneca about um, <sighs> on finding really good friends, but I can't seem to find it. I've I've read some of Seneca, but I. 
don't recall the quote. Um, yeah, I don't know if I can. Yeah, no idea. Mm. I trust you. I trust. I trust that it's there. <laughs> uh, I I know. <laughs> oh, this one sounds good, but he need never lack friends, for it lies in his own control how soon he shall make good a loss. Just as Phidias, if he lose a statue, can straight away carve another, even so our master in the art of making friendships can fill the place of a friend he has lost. Ask you how one can make oneself a friend quickly, I will tell you, provided we agreed. No, that's not it. Nope, nope, nope. Uh, he's, He's... Oh, sorry, go on. I was going to say, that's like a whole other topic area that we, that we didn't really hit. It's, it's like, it's all well and good to say that what we need is connections, but that's not easy necessarily. Like, that's really difficult in certain circumstances. How hard is it to actually find a friend nowadays? Yeah. It was yeah. so much easier to make friends back in high school, but you're kind of stuck with each other for like eight hours a day. And it's sort of the same thing with work, like... I met a lot of like amazing people during my job, but like outside of that, even when you're, even when you're at work, even when you're at work, people don't want to necessarily socialize with you outside of work. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, some do, but or they might say, "Oh, they might be happy to maybe go out for a drink with you afterwards," but they don't necessarily want to be your friend outside of that work environment because work and friends are separate. Definitely. Uh, another th- another argument I've heard used about why we're having difficulty making some of the connections is because we've got fewer siblings than we've had in the past. So families used to be bigger. You might have, you know, six kids. And without that socialising process of learning how to fight and to fight well, but then get along with each other directly after, because you have to in a family... We haven't gone through that socialization. What we tend to do now is we just withdraw. So the moment someone plays in a way that we don't like, oh, I'm out. And that's that's perpetuating some of that disconnect. Mm. Oh, how true is that? And I'm an only child, so I didn't get the benefit of meeting my big brothers or my big sisters or my little sisters or my little brothers' friends. So, yeah, I growing up, I I didn't have a lot of kids around me. I, I relied on meeting people at school. Um, yeah, yeah, or when I, or meeting kids my own age when my parents went to you know their friends' houses. So I had trouble even from a young age meeting people my own age. There you go. There you go. There'd be a lot of people in that boat. There'd be a lot of people, you know, because single, like, being an only child is just so much more common in the last 20, 30 years. Um, and so that's affecting us. And, and like, how do, you, how, do you, how do you learn those skills? And Because a lot of it becomes internalised. You just, you just have mm. your patterns and your ways of behaving. And that, yep. sometimes you're not conscious of that. Mm. That's right. So you know, it's it's a it's a bind, and I, and I and I wouldn't just say, oh, you know, flippantly, oh, we just we should just connect more. Well, you know what? Like how? Yeah. That's that's a, it's a whole skill set, and and there's a there's a bunch of things that go with that. Mm. 
that's that's the thing. You can have something like that, like a a goal being more connected, but you need steps to get to that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And and it takes time and it takes setbacks. And then you have that one time that someone treats you really badly and it puts you back three steps, you know, and it's, yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it can be difficult at times. Definitely. Oh, definitely. Go. All right. Uh, she just got a telephone um, call. Um, so, I mean, from your perspective, what do you think is the answer in uh, this century or in this uh, during this pandemic even? How do people reach out? How do people make friends? Yeah, I don't, I don't want to be really light and flippant on that because because it's a real it's a difficult and it's a complicated question. Um, and, and it is. Yeah, it really is. Like, and I, it's going to be, it's going to vary with each individual, but if we could generalize a few ideas, I do think there's that, that, that risk of vulnerability has to, you have to, you know, that's a fine balance of putting yourself in vulnerable, uncomfortable situations just enough so that there will be those uh, connections made. And, you know, if you've, I don't know if you've ever read any of those books like, you know, how to win friends and influence people, that sort of thing. I think sometimes there are some useful uh, nuggets within those books, like just the idea of... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like as some like when you have a conversation with someone, make, make it your aim to try and make them feel good, that sort of thing. All these little, little tricks that, that do help and add up. And then people can, you know, if people feel good around you, then they're going to gravitate towards you. I really believe that. Yeah. But, you know, I, you, I don't want to be light and flippant because it is difficult. Um, and I think you said something before about, like, our bad experiences with people can really set you back. Um, Definitely, yeah. I'm very close to somebody who has had many, many bad experiences, sort of like one after the other. And because of that, you know, the social anxiety and everything, like, they get so intense and it's, hard to connect with people because you're you're so used to people shitting on you essentially yeah and, and w when it gets to that sort of stage it's like well you know maybe like a genuine good counselor or a good therapist or something maybe that's a good way to go but sometimes you just get lucky as well you might just hit someone who manages to get through your defenses a bit and they can help open you up yeah it changed the whole people's whole perspective on things um but it's a matter of, as I said, sort of wading through the crap until you land on something good. Yeah, I, th I think there's truth. I think we've got to do that sometimes, definitely. Yeah. Mm. I think, um, uh, I don't know if this will make, but I mean, I think Seneca, I finally found it. Oh, wonderful. Um, yeah, Seneca wrote this. Um, he said, in all cases, one should be careful in one's choice of men or women in this case and see whether they be worthy of our bestowing a part of our life upon them or whether we shall waste our own time and theirs also, for some even consider us to be in their debt because of our service. Yet nothing delights the mind so much as faithful and pleasant friendship. What a blessing it is when there is one whose breast is ready to receive all your secrets with safety whose knowledge of your actions you fear less than your own conscience, 
conscience, sorry, whose conversation removes your anxieties, whose advice assists your plans, whose cheerfulness dispels your gloom, whose very sight delights you. We should choose our friends, men who are, as far as possible, free from strong desires for vices are contagious and pass from a man to his neighbour and injure those who touch them enough. End quote. And I just think, so, yeah, that's perfect. It is. But where do you find these beautiful friends? Yeah. On Facebook obviously, mostly. And <laughs> obviously, yeah, sorry. Oh, you go. No, sorry. I, I was being trite. I said Facebook. Yeah, go on. <laughs> yeah, you find them on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> you find them in ads. Yeah, exa- ads. exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> well, Chloe, <laughs> uh, I, have, I, I have met some um, beautiful people in, in amps. Uh, but, yeah, in the real world, to find, you know, that kind of real connection with a person who, yeah, you can just sit down with pour out your innermost feelings and have someone say, hey, what's on your mind? And just be able to say without even thinking what what is on your mind. (sighs) I mean, that's just where do you find a person like that? They're out there. They exist. They exist. Sometimes I feel a little few and far between, but... But, but you're right. By the way, I mean, I'm not even talking about lovers or partnerships. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, friends. Yeah. You know, fr- good friends are just hard to find. Yep. It's those connections. You, you might find people to sort of hang with or, you know, colleagues or peers, um, mentors, mm. a, friendly, a friendly face to smile at or say hello, neighbours, but. To have an actual friend, a connection with someone is, is just, you know, that's something special, something to be treasured. And I think that is the best gift that you can give anybody is, is the gift of friendship. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm just, yeah, it's amazing how showing care and support for people can sort of really change their outlook on things. Like I've had people say, like I, I've, I didn't think people could care this much about each other, and it sort of blows my mind a little bit that um, some people have been treated so badly that they do legitimately think it's impossible for that to happen. Vulnerability is, is, is that, that key issue as well, isn't it? Because like you want to be at that stage where you want to freely express who you are and not be judged. Mm. But reaching that stage, oh, wow. And it's that give and take. It's a dance of giving and taking um, vulnerability. Mm. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, where do you find that person that you're willing to go through that dance with? Well, yeah, got to explore honestly i think it's sometimes a bit of a maths game it's you you try multiple connections you just try you just see and and you're gonna eventually find someone that you connect with and if you don't then there's there's got to be a question of well what am i doing wrong is there a different way i can approach that (laughs) that's right that's right yeah and that's another stoic thing as well because you know uh everything is opinion right so 
perhaps there is uh, uh, something within your perception that, you know, is a little bit skewed before perhaps you can start looking at, at it, or, you know, you can start looking at things a different way. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Good. But uh, I, I think that um, I'm not sure about you, Chloe and Steve, but I think that perhaps we've um, we've probably come to an end. Yep, that works for me. I think that was fun. I think, yeah, I think that was great. Um, thank you, Steve. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for sharing and contributing. To no worries. This, uh, to our podcast. Uh, very, very grateful to have you on the show. Yeah. Chloe, it's amazing as always to talk to you. Thank you for coming in. I know that you're really busy in between taking calls. So thank you for taking the time. Matt, uh, he's gone, obviously, but he's always uh, really, really good. Um, so I think, but I think uh, for now, um, I'm going to say good night. So easy. You. Have, have a good one. You too. And, right. uh, yeah. Sorry, All right. Catch you around. That's been good. Bye-bye. Good night. Bye, guys. Bye.